are listening to the Jersey Guys Podcast, the show that talks about hard rock, heavy metal, AOR, and West Coast music. In-depth conversation and special guests are always on tap, so settle in and turn it up. Now, here are your hosts, Tom and Mark. Hey everybody, this is Mark Ballow from the Jersey Guys Podcast. I'm here with my co-host Tom Coyne, as always, and today we've got special guest Adam Holland from the band Valentine. Welcome, Adam. How you doing? I'm doing great. Well, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Good to hear your voices. Yeah. No, thank you for joining us. Uh, and we want to, you know, basically talk a little bit about Valentine and the whole career and, and you know, touch on other stuff too, you know, the... Uh, this Open Skies, uh, Steve Ogieri Band, and everything that you've been involved with over the years. My pleasure. I'll, I'll do my best to, you know, I, I'll do my best to remember it all and share it with you. Whatever, you, I'll do my best. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, uh, Tom, you wanted to to start with uh, something that we talked about a little bit before. Yeah, most of the times when we have a guest, I always like to ask personally as a, as a fan myself, and also I think there's a lot of people that like to know. Also, how did the band get started? How did you meet Hugo, the other guys in the band? How did you originally get the whole thing off the ground? That's a great question. And um, so back in the, I guess, early 80s, you know, there was a Long Island circuit. It was obviously the time of early MTV and, you know, just the beginning of that sort of, you know, Bon Jovi-ish days, you know, 85, 86. And so I was playing with Gerard. We, we, it was first me and Gerard since we were about 14. We played in our first high school cover band, you know, did the, the high school dances, whatever, you, you know, the, the, the concert halls at, at the school. And then we met Neil, and I don't even know how we met Neil, to tell the truth. And we started to play. By the time we were already at the end of high school, we were playing a couple nights a week on the Long Island circuit with another singer. And um, it was kind of cool. We were young kids, but some other big uh, Long Island band called Equinox had their gear stolen, and somehow, I don't know how we knew, they said, listen, we'll let you play every gig with us, but we'll, you need, we need to use your gear. And we said, all right, sure. Meanwhile, we were like still in high school. We had no idea what the hell we were getting ourselves into, and it was like <laughs> three nights a week, we'd stroll in like 6 a.m. and go to school. It was not it was not very productive, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> and then, so that, but that, you know, we wanted to do something not necessarily heavier, but more like we all grew up on that Boston Farner, you know, sort of, you know, bad company, that, that feeling journey, obviously. And then through the, through Neil knew another friend of his who knew Hugo. I think they played in the band together. And then obviously that was sort of the, you know, sealed the deal. He, we, he liked and wanted to do the same type of music. And then in the middle of this, Craig also through some, just various people we knew. We met Craig and we all wanted to play the same type of stuff, but we all wanted to play originals. Long Island was really a cover scene at the time and we did not want to do that. That was sort of our bond, which really brought us all together at that 85, 84. And that was how we, that's really through just mutual friends in Long Island and, you know, meeting different musicians, et cetera, is how the band formed. Now, when did the Valentine name come about? That's a good question. Um, somewhere, gosh, I'm not sure when it did. We, we were, it was, we used to be after Image, then it became Valentine. And I don't know, I don't know when it changed, but it was before, you know, the labels, it was definitely, we played the clubs as Valentine. So probably 85, 86. No, one last piece of the puzzle is that we did, you know, being that we wanted to play originals and 
the Long Island scene wasn't really conducive to that. We made a quick trip out to Los Angeles thinking we'd relocate to be part of the original scene on the Sunset Strip. And we, we learned a lot. I mean, it was like really just what we wanted. We're like, this is the place we should be. This is the right vibe. But, you know, we just, but living was just, you know, got complicated. You know, living became the priority, not the music. So we brought everything we learned from that time out there, you know, maybe half a year, and brought it back to Long Island and decided we're only going to play originals and we don't care if we only play, you know, one club, whatever. And we're going to work on our writing and our demos. And that's really, that was a pivotal moment for us that really pushed us to the next point. Um, so, I mean, basically we're talking to you today because of the new album, the new release by Valentine, which is called Demos from the Attic. And it's Correct. on 20th Century uh, Music. And just tell yes. us a little bit about how that whole thing came about, because I guess it literally was songs that came, that were found in an attic, right? Literally, really, it really was. And the, the cover of the CD is literally a picture of the cassettes and the dat tapes that Craig and Gerard found in their basement and attics. And Craig took that picture in front of, I guess, one of our amps. Yeah. And that, that real, those really are the tapes. It's pretty wild. So over during the COVID time, you know, people obviously were home and social media really became sort of the communication point for everybody. And 20th century approached, approached me first. I'm, I'm probably more on social media than the rest of the guys about doing something like this. They've done it in the past with other bands. Did we have anything? And we were like, wow, what a great idea. And we weren't really sure what we had because we, a lot of the songs we had written for the second Valentine record, a few of them did go on to the Open Skies record and a few leftovers made it on to Soul Salvation, which came out in 2010. Mm, okay. But we realized there was a, like a whole nother like set of really 80s songs that we just, that never made it past the 80s that we had not used. And this is that batch of songs. Now, the, the would, songs that were, were on, on this release, Demos from the Attic, are, are they from uh, like a different period? Like, are they a, a cover a certain period or are they were all recorded around the same time? They're, all, they're kind of over a three-year period. We recorded the Valentine record in 1988, even you know, towards 89, towards the end, even though it didn't come out until 90. And right after that period, we started to write. You know, we, we, since we were sort of in this holding pattern, label nonsense we decided to start writing and recording just to be ready for the next record when it came we weren't we didn't know what you know you didn't know what we like let's that's what you do you, we write so we we had a few dollars we bought some gear and we started to write and record and write and record and just sort of stockpile these songs but no one really was like at this point guiding us because we just we hadn't presented them to anybody yet because they were just sort of, the record wasn't even out yet, so we weren't even thinking about the second record. We were just trying to get the first one out. Yeah. So, like I said, so we started to write and record, write and record, and these these songs are the product of those sessions. So, I guess 88, 89, 90, oh, okay. maybe into 91, some of them, but that period post, you know, right after the Valentine and right during when it was out. Yeah. Well, now talk a little bit about, you mentioned that, you know, I know the Valentine story, basically you guys were signed to what, two major labels before Correct. your debut even came out. Talk a little bit Correct. about that. We got signed, you know, when we got signed, it was right, it was still the heyday of the 80s and we were, and we were really, you know, in that mode of, you know, not really the metal, but more like the, the AOR version, you know, like that Bon Jovi-ish, Def Leppard-ish stuff mm -hmm. and we were very, so again, and once we got Hugo, the songs clicked, and like I said, post that Los Angeles trip, 
we really wrote most of the first Valentine record and made some little demos, and that's what got us management. You know, a lot, everything happened really quickly, and we got major management, and then our managers managed Neil Kernan, who we became friendly with, and he's like, let's make some real demos. Those real demos got us to Columbia, and the, the momentum was just boom, 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 boom. You know, it was happening. And so everything was, I mean, it couldn't have been, it was just a big budget deal. Everything, we were like loving, living large, you know, it was great. Then just, I mean, the typical, I mean, not typical, I don't know what you say, I don't know if it's typical, but the record, the, the president of Columbia changed in the middle of us recording this record and well, he wanted to do different, you know, a different direction. And maybe he saw the 90s coming, who knows, you know what I'm saying? But it's hard to say. Yeah. We were, you know, in the group with Firehouse and Warrant. And Heaven's Edge, they were all, you know, with us there. Heaven's Edge stayed on the label and snuck out their record, but they got no support. Yeah. And somehow we got we got dropped, but it wasn't like we got, you know, dumped. He just didn't want to deal with the record, so he let us he let Giant buy the record, and we went over to Giant with our A and R guy. It was a pretty unusual situation, which wasn't bad because our A and R guy who was supporting us was still with us, so it was still we had someone, you know, there. Yeah. And that's how we ended up over at Giant. Then it came out on Giant. And they, they, you know, listen, they were a new label at the time. And they were, even though Irving and they were, Azoff was running it and they were part of Warner Brothers, they were still sort of self-contained. Yeah. And, but having said that, for what the time was, they did a video for us. You know, we didn't get a lot of tour support, but we did a lot of press. We did as much as we could, you know, regionally touring and um, regionally, excuse me. Didn't say that word there. <laughs> so that's how he ended up on two labels before we even came out with one record. It was, you know. That's so. an interesting story because yeah, I mean, you hear that though, what you said, you know, and you've heard that with other bands from that era, right. and uh, you know, all all eras actually. But how a, a new, you know, new personnel comes into a, a label, right. they want to bring their own people in. They, you right, know, they right. don't want the bands that were there before them because they didn't have anything Correct. to do with them. Correct, and you know, by the way, his rock band, he had, he went with like a Mariah Carey. And Alice in Chains, and you know, he, I guess he was right because both yeah. of those went on to tremendous success. So, sure, you know. Now, when when 20th Century first announced uh, the new demos from the Attic album, um, I thought it's about a year or so ago. I, I thought there was some mention that there was maybe two or three albums worth of material. Is is that true? There was two albums worth of material. We actually had two full discs worth of material. However, what we didn't feel they were all these were demos. These weren't, you know, they were like writing demos. So some of them were just, I don't know. Some of them, they were like two versions of the same song. You know, they were, you know, you know what I'm saying? We tried, there was a lot of sort of things that were just there to be dealt with later, like to be, to be called through. So it's true. There was two, we almost, we started out with almost like 20 songs and got it down to this batch because we just wanted to, we just didn't want to have two CDs. And we didn't, we thought the other material wasn't really up to par. No, oh, okay. Put out publicly, so we put out the, what we thought was the best of the bunch. Gotcha, gotcha. Now I know Tom wanted to talk about something with uh, kind of like the transition from the original debut Valentine album right to to Open Skies. Right, we were just talking sure. about that, Tom. Yes, I did want to talk to you about that. First, I just wanted to, you mentioned Equinox, and that was a band that I can't tell you how many times I saw in Long Island. I grew up in right. Brooklyn, and oh, I used to go to the funny. clubs in the late seventies, early eighties. Right. So in then you go early, 80s, right. So early eighties, that was, we, we were, you know, little, I mean, God, 
I think we were 10th and 11th grade. So by the end of 11th and 12th grade, we were on that playing that circuit with Equinox. We were, looking back, we were like, holy crap, what the hell, what did we get ourselves into? But it was, it was. Equinox fun. was a terrific band. I actually even saw them at Lamar's one time too in the early 80s. They were great. I bet you probably saw us opening up. With, you know, you know we that's what you were that's saying this. I was wondering that. That's, that, that's actually what was going through my mind. They were like one of the bands, the first bands to cover Rush. They did such a great that's job right. covering Rush. And that's why they were like, wow, they were like, they were, they were good. They were great. I forget, terrible. I forget their names, but they were, they were very, it was a great, it was so nice to us, us, these little young kids. We did them a favor and they really did us a bigger favor. It was really, a, we had such a good time. Those are great memories. A lot of fun. And I used to see Zebra in Long Island yep. before yep. they were signed when they used to do an entire yep. Led Zeppelin. I, I, set. I used to go see Zebra and Twisted Sister at, at Rockaways. Right. Rockwise. So I used to go to Hammerheads and uh, yep. Rum Bottoms. Yep. Yeah, I, uh, I, all those places. My father's great, place. <laughs> yes, but I played them all and been to them all, and I, that, that was the scene. And I was just at the age, somehow, I, my license, I was able, before the, they still had the paper driver's licenses, and I was able to you know, somehow, I, I don't know, somebody I knew who was an artist changed my, you know, five to an eight or something. I don't know. What oh, really? Was, but either way, I was, able to, I was able to sneak in to the club. Was just well, unfortunately, the club. I'm old enough that I was able to go legitimately. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But I wanted to ask you about Open Skies because I go yeah, back sorry. to when that record came out. And actually, the first time I, I listened to this record were with two of my friends from ZigZag, uh, uh-huh. which one of which is Vinny and the other is, is Phil, who was the owner of the record store. And sure. I, I remember us listening to it and realizing, looking at the inside liner notes, that it was all the guys in Valentine. And right. we loved the record, but it was nobody knew that the band had shifted name. So what right. What made you guys do something that abrupt at that point? Well, I'll t- well we start, so it's a good question. And it's, so let me do my best to explain it. So. Obviously, the 80s period of music just ended, and we had already started. We, we were so fortunate. And again, I'm, I always say this about my career. I'm so grateful for all the things that we had. We had, had two deals at that point, which is already like, holy crap, that's like a lifetime worth of record deals. We were like, how the hell are we going to get a third record deal? We were like, what? But we had great management. They believed in us, and they were like the same thing. They're like, just keep writing and writing. And we had Hugo, who had the voice that, no matter what genre and what time and place, when you heard Hugo sing, someone wanted to have him on their label. So we were very lucky, and I'm always grateful for that. So Richie Zito started a new label, and he you know, was a really a different type of producer than Neil Kernan, really from the hit-oriented, like, you know, Eddie Money, Cheap Trick. I mean, what, I mean Cher, really a different type of a producer. And he's like, I think you guys could evolve into something different than just this 80s hairband. He's like, so let's, I'm going to sign you. We're like, okay. And I want you just to write and explore. We're going to set you up with different people. We're going to go to different places. We're going to put different environments, try different instruments, and just see, let's see what happens. I, I think that this could be something that could work. So we were like, holy, we were, it was, it was incredible. We, what a great, I mean, what, think about that. What a great opportunity for us. So, and we knew that the eighties was like, you couldn't even bring up the eighties, you know, so we went with it and, we enjoyed the process and over the, you know, couple of year process, we, we did evolve. And then when it ended, you know, we, we weren't really like, like, this isn't Valentine. How, we can't say this. It 
doesn't feel like a Valentine record. And we wanted to, to rock in the way that Lenny Kravitz rocked. Like if the song, like, like can't we, you know, we really, there's some light moments on the record and then the rock songs like Candy from Strangers, Every Day of My Life, uh, None of It Matters, mm-hmm. you know, Golden Years, you know, there, there's probably a few more in there, you know, had a different kind of feel to them. Like, you know, that we, again, we weren't not, we didn't want to be a grunge band. We were not even ever thinking of that. We still had melody to us in a, in, in a, in Hugo's voice. So that's how, that's how it, it happened. Then we wrote a, this, one of my favorite songs, which I love, called Open, the title track, Open Skies. Yeah. We wrote with a great guy, Glenn Burdnick, who's a great, just a, you know, wonderful artist, songwriter. And I don't know, we, we heard that, that title and we're like, you know, it just felt like a new beginning for us, Open Skies and op- a new, like, sort of, after the rain, I don't know, it just felt right. I can't yeah. really... And the label also felt, everyone felt the same way, like this, we don't think we should call it Valentine because we don't want people to have a, a, a tainted memory of something that isn't really, maybe, it's not that. Yeah. So that, so it happened. I, I can't say it was like a, you know, no one, no one slammed their fist down on the table and said, you better do this. It just, it sort of felt like that was the right thing to do. Yeah. Well, especially like you said, I mean, the scene was changing so much at that point, or it already changed, and and it was like almost like when people looked at the '80s bands, they they associated with you know, like they didn't want to touch that or, or be a part of right. that anymore because that had moved right. on. So it wasn't that we were trying to trick anybody or, or try to pull a fast one. Just, it just that's what it was, and you know, we had a different drummer, and just I don't know, just not that that changed that much of the feel of the band, but just. It was a different chapter. Let me put it that way. It was a new, it was a new chapter. Yeah. Now, when you guys, I, I saw, I was lucky enough to see Open Skies uh, here in New Jersey. And uh, I know at the time, you guys were doing the song Soul Salvation, right? So that was an correct. Open Skies song, which eventually, of course, ended up on the Soul Salvation Valentine album, right? Correct. That's correct. We had, a, we, we had that wasn't, we, you know what? We didn't record it for Open Skies. We wrote it for Open Skies. We, I, I, I wish we would record it. it was a, I love that song. I still do. And that uh, we did, we played it live. You know, we wanted that. We always loved it, so we're like, we're gonna play it. That's great. Now, I mean, what what happened? I mean, it just kind of did the scene and the sound with music change so much that there just wasn't, um, you know, a second album to be had, or what was you know, it? No, it was. It's right. It's just it's a shame. I don't. You know, I think I, it's a good question. Really, how did it end? Like, why didn't we do a second Open Skies record? And uh, I think that at the time, I'm not. You know, the answer came out. We had the first single, Every Day of My Life, did pretty well at Rock Radio. We toured on that single for that first year. And then the, our, our sort of ballad pop single came out, and it did okay, but then it really never did what it was supposed to do. And the label they didn't want to make a second record, and they mm. dropped us, which we were like, holy shit, we, you know, give us another chance. But they didn't want it. Hmm. They wanted, and so it, it was... That was disappointing. I, I must say that we really, I think we should have done a second Open Skies record. Now, personally, I mean, after that ended, it's it's what nineteen ninety four ish or so at that point. Ninety five. Ninety five is when it all. Yeah. Okay. Well, what now? You personally, I mean, you stayed involved with music as far as uh, from a songwriting standpoint, right? Correct. Correct. I um, I you know, for I mean, the sort of end ninety five to like ninety nine, I didn't know what to do, but myself and Tom Mayo who was the drummer in Open Skies, we both lived in Rhode Island. So we formed another band. Actually, Gerard was in that band, but Tom was a singer. It was called Third from the Sun. Actually, it's on my, the songs are on my website. It's pretty cool. That was kind of 90s sounding. And, you know, we just, we literally played locally. We went back to like, it was, that was weird. We went from like touring in a tour bus, like all over the place, being in just home. Like it was, that was really like, wow. That, that was the strangest period of it all. You know, you went like 
spent 15 years sort of in this mode, then all of a sudden you're like back to playing the corner club, which we <laughs> yeah. did it because we just, we, so I always continued to play and write. And then I had some other friends who were writers, you know, just not even in the, not, you know, artists who had told me that now, and I, by the way, I always loved country music and the 80s sort of vibe became country music. Those songs, I don't know. Oh, definitely. Either way, a lot of people, a lot of people in that late 90s, early 2000s, rock guys, yeah. Nashville was kind of looking for like to bring that mixture with their country writers. Right. Yeah. So, so, so a good friend of mine who just said, she introduced me to some people and I, I knew a bunch of people who were there. They, and I just very, various connections. I just took a couple of meetings. I made some demos in, you know, and, um, I got involved with it. I, I was able to become sort of the New York guy for this a great publishing company called Murrah Music. And this guy, Roger Murrah, was a wonderful, he wrote all those early Alabama songs. He, he's most famous song is, you know, Al Jarreau, We're in This Love Together. But he mm. became in, a lot of these independent publishers. That was the scene down there in, in that time. It was a really a, a golden years, a golden era for country music. It was just, it was a great time. CDs were still being sold. Yeah. Writing, publishing was making, you know, making money. It was a great time. And they let me, they let me, a guy from New York, you know, in, in the door. And I was so grateful. And what was so cool at that time, I was a big Rascal Flatts fan. One of the guys who wrote most of that record, he was on my, he was a, a writer at, our, at this publisher. So I wrote with him. Mm-hmm. Actually, Luke, Luke Bryan got his start at this publishing company. I wrote with him and a bunch of, this is Rachel Proctor, all these other, you know, there's a lot of other, artists and writers in this little publishing house and uh it was just a cool I, I was like in heaven it was great i never got anything published but i got a lot of things on hold so mm-hmm. it was it was it was tough i was it got i got discouraged after a while i'm like wow how is this gonna pan out so uh, you know but yeah. i truthfully i enjoyed i enjoyed that really that period of my life tremendously it was really a growth period i learned so much about writing and, and recording and just watching these guys in Nashville work i was like holy crap incredible how long did that la- did that period last for you? That was about five years. I did it from two thousand almost two thousand five. You know, ninety nine. I guess two thousand five. You know, I was, I was going back and forth. I never moved there. I used to kind of go back, you know, a month here and go back and forth. It was a little crazy, but that's all I could do at the time. I didn't want. I had. I think I, yeah, my ch- my daughter was born. I didn't want. I wasn't ready to move there yet. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's funny you mentioned that because around that time, you talk about a lot of the 80s bands sort of migrated to, to the Nashville scene. And, and right. I really got into a lot of the, the that, you know, contemporary country stuff myself. Right. You mentioned Rascal Flatts. Right. I love that band. I, that, right. I, that, that's exactly the term. I, I, I really enjoy that contemp- contemporary country. That's exactly right, which they call it now like Y2 Country. That's the mm. serious station, you know. Yeah. That's like the beginning of like... That's when, like, the beginning of like, Keith Urban, like, mm-hmm. Blake Shelton was, like, a young guy. All the, you know, that sort of rock, more rock-oriented. Um, and what I loved about it, they were all great singers, and every musician was great. And I loved that there was, like, a space between all the instruments. You could hear everything, and everything was produced. There was nothing. Everyone was, like, A-game players and singers. Yeah. I'm like, wow. It was, I couldn't believe it. I, I could not believe. When I went down there, and even making the demos, I was like, holy crap this place i never see i've never i was just blown away by the talent down there and i and i i tried to absorb absorb as much as i could from that period yeah that's great um now moving on so you said that lasted up to around about the 2005 period um it wasn't right. that long after that that valentine regrouped which was 2007 Correct. i believe and you guys did the Firefest festival over Correct. in the uk right 
Right. So what happened, just to, what led into that was that in the early 2000s, that's when tribute bands started. That's the first time they were really a, these tribute bands, the bands that played only one other band, right? Mm -hmm. as a, as a, so and Hugo just wanted to play. He had made two really great solo records already. You know, and actually we all kind of, actually, I don't know about it, but I, I played on some of those records and wrote some songs. It was, you know, they were good. They were great. And then he wanted to play. He's like, you know, I look like Steve Perry. And people mm -hmm. always say it. I'm like, he's like, fuck it. I'm going to do it. And he's like, okay, let's, let's see if I can do a tribute band. So he wanted to play it and he, he did one and he invited me to play in that tribute band. I was like, you know, at first I was like, what is, what the hell is even a tribute band? You know, either way, I obviously joined that band with him and we had the best time and, and Gerard managed that band. So here we were together again as guys, but you know, we always were, we always stayed to, in communication. Actually, I wrote a lot of songs in Nashville with Hugo. So we always were in, we never had like a breakup falling out. We just, just, you know, we just had these periods. So we started to play again. We had a great time. And it was, you said, we saw, we played that canal and we played, we used to travel all over the country. It was a great, I'm like, this, we were having the best time and playing journey songs. Yeah. So now, so people, but now here, people saw Hugo and I on stage together and the new Gerard was involved. They're like, oh my God, what's is Valentine getting back together? And that's when we got invited to do Firefest. We're like, what the hell? Let's, sounds great. Let's, let's go. <laughs> and that was, we went in 2008. And, you know, we didn't know what to expect. And we all brought, like, you know, our families and wives. We're like, let's just at least have, we'll get a trip to Europe at least. We didn't know what to expect out of it. And we were just blown away at the reception from that firefight. We were like, holy crap, who knew? Yeah. It was pre-social media. You didn't know where your fans were at the time. We didn't, we had no idea we had this following over there. Yeah. Well, so many, it's funny because we, uh, the last podcast that we did, we had uh, a guest, uh, Kenny Dubman from the band Profit. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar oh, yeah. with them. Sure. Um, yeah. And they also played the Fire Fest a little bit later, around uh, I think it was right. 2012, 2013. But I, I've heard this, and and you just said it, and Kenny said it last week, and and it's so many bands that went over and played at the Fire Fest just were like just blown away by the reaction. Right. They they didn't realize right. that they were even such Correct. you know a, a commodity at that point. So the first one we played, besides our own like set, which was like. We were like, seriously, like, stop playing. We're like, the crowd was louder than us. We were like, it's incredible. But now, Taiketo headlined. I'm like, I didn't even know they were still together, <laughs> by the way. And like, the week before, Tesla was over there. I'm like, I didn't even, I'm like, these bands are still playing? I'm like, what, what world? Are we? I'm like, where am I right now? <laughs> and by the way, Taiketo was so good. I'm like, what? I, was, I was just, that took me such a while. I was so stunned by the whole experience. All of us were like, holy crap. Why haven't we been here? Like, what the hell are we thinking? So literally, we we went back and we're like we recorded and we were so excited we were, we started to record a new CD, and then we came back again to Firefest I think the next year. Yes, yeah, in two thousand eight you played again. Right, and then that's with a segue this year because at one of those tall stories played, and that's when Steve or Jerry played at one of those Firefest. Yes, and yeah, it, and it was on the same the same year that you guys played right at the same time. Well, we yeah. played twice, so I'm not sure which one it was. It maybe the first or second. Yeah. But then in 2013, we went back to Firefest one more time. <laughs> Steve Ogieri headlined. He was the head, the main band. That was one of my favorite gigs of my life. How about that? Yeah. Now at that point, yeah, you were with Steve Ogieri, right? And right. The, yeah. Correct. Wow. So you got to play it three times. <laughs> I did. Yes. I was. I, I, I trust me. It was such a great. Like, Kieran, God bless that guy. Oh yeah. 
Now that that led to you, you did the show in 2007, and then you said you came back the following year. But at that point, you guys had recorded the the Soul Salvation right. album, right? Or recorded in the Soul Salvation right. album, correct? By the way, we did a DVD. Kieran, they produced a, a DVD from our set. We, so we we did some overdubs in that. Then we started to record Soul Salvation, and we that's when the first time we went and dug back into some older demos. And again, we Soul Salvation was really an open sky song. We put that on. Song Love Song, I think, was on there, and then mm-hmm. Dream on the Way. I can't remember the Soul Salvation songs, but a lot of those Soul Salvation songs were written in the same time demos from the attic. I'm set a full segue there. How about that? <laughs> what about the song Wait? I love that song. That that song, okay, that's the oldest song. Wait was on the original demo we got signed with at Columbia. That was an old, old, that was a really old song. So, uh, wow, wow, really? That old? And by the way, we recorded it for the Columbia record, but we didn't put it on the record. I don't know why. Oh, wow. Interesting. Glad I asked that's, about that's that. That's the oldest. That's probably the oldest song. That and Someday are probably the oldest Valentine's songs. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's really cool. So now that brings us up to, I guess, you joined. I mean, well, you obviously, I mean, Tom said, and we were talking about this before we went on air, that he saw you guys uh, a number of times uh, with the Journey, uh, the tribute right. band that you guys were doing. And uh, right. and I saw you guys a few times too, but right. after that all, um, kind of I guess I don't want to say dissolve because they obviously continued to carry on. But you transitioned over to playing with Steve Algieri, who of course you know was right. the singer in Journey for a period there. Right. So how did right. that all come about? So off to back up a second, and it's a great. So it all everything overlaps, and we didn't even know it was overlapping. Hmm. So before Steve was in journey he was in a band called tall stories which was on they were on epic mm-hmm. a, a great record i recommend that record for it was, they were and they were like not even an 80s band at all they were like almost like candle box cool they were like really great i mean a great record but i don't know what happened they just had they did one record epic who knows like, you know who, the, who he knows was in taiketo too if you remember <laughs> correct I more do overlapping <laughs> i do because you know why because when we played when steve and jerry played at firefest we played taiketo and but we, you know, sometimes we play those songs. So right. Let me back up. So when Open Skies toured with Mr. Big, on the same tour, we would like flip flop. We were on for a while, off for a while, back on, and Paul Stories also toured with Mr. Yes. Big. Yes, I remember. So, that. And then, and then our managers. I don't know. Our manager Louis Levin somehow knew their manager. We knew we knew of each other, even though we weren't like buddies. We all knew who each other were, and were in a, cir- a circle of this Mr. Big tour. Fine. Then, then he went into Journey, and obviously, a decade ninety-five, whatever ninety-six to two thousand six, whatever that decade was, the Journey. Then here we are back at Firefest in the two thousands, post his Journey run, mm-hmm. and so we meet again. And now the Journey tribute band Evolution played the opening party for Rock of Ages the musical, and then we also did these monthly cast parties where if you had a ticket from the show. You'd come next door to this like little club bar thing, and the cast would be there, and maybe one other 80s musician. I think JJ from Twisted came one night. Steve O'Jerry came one night. The guys, from, you know, various different 80s people would, and they, we'd all jam. Like it was like a free, it was like a loose, wasn't like a real show. It was like a loose bar scene. It was a lot of fun, by the way. Yeah, kind of like they, they used to do that at the China Club for a period. Correct. Uh, that's exactly. That, I forgot. Was that the? Yeah, it wasn't the the real China Club. It was like another version of the China Club. But you're right. Okay. You could, uh, that's, I couldn't think of the name. That's right. So Steve, on one of those nights, jammed with us, right? So, 
And then I guess him and Gerard were talking. I didn't even know this. I learned all this later. Steve wanted to put a band together. Gerard's like, well, I'll help you. You know what I'm saying? So then it turned out that the guys, like Craig was playing in a different band. So myself, Gerard, Craig, and Mikey, from, who was playing in Valentine and Evolution, we, we kind of did a few gigs with Steve. Mm-hmm. With Hugo's Blessing, we tried it. It just evolved into the Steve Audrey band. And then my good friend, Robbie Hoffman, who was my sub for the band, came into Evolution. They became Voyage. And mm-hmm. all that, that was like 2010. And we all went on to continue on. Now, I know that, that Steve has released over probably starting around maybe 2015 uh, for a period of a couple of years. He was putting out some singles. Um, Correct. And is that stuff that you were ever involved with at all? Some of them. I think Riverside, I, I wrote, Craig and I wrote that with him. Some of them we did and some of them he just had stuff he wrote. And let me stress, right now we're actually putting, Steve is we're putting the finishing touches. We, there's a Steve O'Jury record coming out pretty soon because that was another COVID thing we did. I wanted to ask you about that. Is is this are these songs that that were the singles or are these brand new songs? No, these are new new songs. So like demos from you know in COVID, we everyone had a lot of time and needed to you know get their creative energy out. So everyone took to their home you know home studios. We all went back to our like archives. We had written some stuff early on with Steve, and then you know we just kicked it around. I don't know. And then we also Craig and I are always writing. We wrote a bunch of stuff with during the pandemic steve had went we all went through everything every like scrap of an idea we ever had that we never finished we brought it out and like is this good is not good you know and then so those are those songs are going to be on the new steve or jerry record most of them i'd say 50 percent are steve's songs and by the way which is really cool there's a couple of songs he wrote with like the guys in journey you know jonathan kane and neil sean they're going to be on this record. And we, so I played, I got to play on those songs, which was a, a treat for me. Oh, wow. Um, and then we wrote a couple, of, we, you know, Craig and I and Steve wrote a bunch of songs. Steve and I wrote songs. So there's a hodgepodge of, of stuff. And it's a, it's a Steve or Jury record. It's definitely, you know, a little, I don't know, poppier. It has, you know, it's kind of a, a wide spectrum of stuff on there. Wow. And that'll, that'll see the light in 22, 2022? I think so. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't want to, it should. I mean, it's really, we're just, there's maybe one or two more songs that have to be mixed and, or, or tweaked, you know, sort of finishing recording type of things, you know. Yeah. Now you guys got back to, I mean, obviously everybody had a long layoff with the, with the COVID for the last year and we a half. Uh, you guys got back to playing some shows again recently? We did. We had a very busy summer. It was almost like once everybody got vaccinated, it was like it was like the, the floodgates opened, and we we were really busy from mid June to mid September, and then, like many others, you know, COVID popped back up. Actually, you know, our camp, it, you know, we got it, so we had to cancel a couple of shows. Then a, we we did notice probably three shows or four shows that, you know, got pushed to 2022. So mm-hmm. you could just see people were like maybe you know it, it sort of came back again. So yeah. but we were lucky; we had a good. A very good summer, and we have we just played recently in Florida. We have a couple more shows for the year, and then we'll you know start the schedule again for 2022. Yeah, sure. Now I, I wanted to touch on this because uh, I, I wanted to talk about it, and, and I was telling Tom about this right before we went on air. Back at the beginning of this year, and, and maybe this was kind of something that was born out of COVID. I don't know. You tell me. But you started your own podcast uh, named Correct. Band Forever. Oh, yeah, uh, tell that's us correct. how that that all started. How did you get involved in wanting to do a podcast? That's a that's a great question. Thank you for asking. Um, so, well, 
like I said, in COVID, COVID times sounds so funny, you know, <laughs> like this era. But you know what? I um, we were home, and, we, and I it was kind of enjoyable in, in some weird way to get to like be creative. You know, a lot of times I don't have so much time to sit around and, and be creative. So I, two things. First of all, I, I started to listen to a lot of podcasts, and a couple in particular. I always like to learn something, whether it's a history thing or about somebody. I like to watch documentaries too. I like to learn how 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 did this guy get from high school to like you know how did Elton John how did it happen like I love those kind of stories. So yeah. but I also real and I also enjoy doing the physical part of recording. I love editing. I, li- I, I actually like doing. That. I used to be a sound designer somewhere in the middle of all this <laughs> stuff we just talked about. I used to edit sound for a company. So I like it. I'm pretty I, I'm pretty good at it. So. Uh, my thought was like, wh- I wonder what it's like to do a podcast. First of all, could I produce one? I wonder if I, I don't even know how to do that. Then, but then at the same time, I was like, there are a lot of stories, by the way, like my own included. Of I know so many musicians, like Reggie from Heaven's Edge, like my friend John Levin from Dokken, you know, who have been in the industry, in various bands, various labels, stayed in the business, you know, even though they're not famous. Like I always use Eddie Trunk as like a, a benchmark. We're not any trunk level, but there are still guys working for decades in this industry in various forms, and they have, you know, crazy spinal tap stories. So I'm like, I think, and and there's a guy I have to give credit to, Joey Casada from the band ZO2 and his show Z Rock. Mm-hmm. He he was in the Steve O'Jury band for a moment or two, and he wrote this great book. And I was like, holy, it was such a great story. I'm like, wow, what a I didn't know what a life this guy had and all these things he'd done. So I, all that came together and I was like, I'm going to, I want to tell the stories of guys who aren't getting their stories maybe told. So, Mm -hmm. and that's how it came to be. I think it's a great, I mean, I've listened to a number of the episodes so far and I always enjoy them. I I think it's a great, um, the concept that you came up with about, you know, you talk about like yourself and other guys that you do on the podcast that are, they're kind of like lifers, right? That, like you said, exactly the term I use. Right. And I took that term from, um, Zach Wilde always said, those, the lifers, there's no choice. You guys are doing this whether you like it or not. You can't, you're addicts. Like and that's me. And yes, the lifers. I call them the Dan Forever lifers. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's a great concept, and I, I really enjoy it. And 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 yeah, I, I've got Thank to I catch up on a few episodes that I missed, but I, I've listened to most of them so far. Thank you. Yeah, and definitely. Mine, you know, I, I I you know I don't do a weekly thing. I try and do once a month, and I mine are a little longer because I get into some detail, and I also try and. I like to put music in there. Uh, you know, whether it's my own music or the artist's music, or, you know, or some. Just musical interlude. I always find that helps. I, I enjoy it, so I I put that in. So it takes me a little longer to do an episode than just like recording it and and, and putting it out. I, I I go through it. I edit it. You know, mm-hmm. I probably could do it shorter, but I take I just maybe enjoy the process. So take so I I go into a little more documentary vibe than than just typical podcast vibe. So yeah, definitely. And yeah, I, I think. Definitely, everybody out there listening, you got to check it out. It's you got you're on Spotify, right? Apple. It's yeah, uh, all, the, all the usual all places. the usual yes, places. It's banned forever, and just check it out. It's I a great podcast. That. Thank but, you. Yeah, it's, it's a great. It's been a lot of fun. This I have a my next episode. I have my childhood friend John Levin, who is in Dokken. and besides, I'm a huge fan of his as a guitar player and a musician. He's a great guy. I've known him since we're like 14, 15. So he he has a and what a great story and. A good guy, so that you know, guys like that. Most of the, my guests have been people I know. That's that's sort of the first round of people I went through. Yeah, 
That that one should is be. Is he a Long Island guy, John Levin? He is. Yeah, we grew up in in the five towns. Of I, Long Island. I never realized that. I knew he was a Robert New York Hopkins, guy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he is a New York Long Island guy. Yeah. Wow. Didn't he? He played in uh, uh, the, with Greg Smith, didn't he? Uh, he he yes. played with. He played. He has played with Greg Smith. You know, he had the podcast most since he's in high school. He and Greg have been playing, and it's it's a crazy Greg Smith and um, who's for Alice Cooper? What's his name? Um, oh, uh, Tommy Hendrickson. Yes, Tommy Hendricks have they they are the key to his whole his musical career. So <laughs> it's a funny story. But they've all been playing together since so like, you know, back in the high school days. Well, oh, Greg wow. Smith was in the final chapter of Rainbow back in right. the day. He was. He talked about a, an incredible career. Now, by the way, let's go full circle. Greg Smith plays with Hugo and Robbie in, in Voyage. Yes, I saw them. That's right. Saw them in a club in Manhattan Somewhere in right. Midtown, about four or five years ago. So yeah, so there's, there's, we're all intertwined, you know, into some crazy world. We're all still stuck together somewhere. <laughs> well, it's interesting when you talk <laughs> about the, the Long Island scene, though, right? I mean, it was it was a yeah. great scene. I mean, there there was a lot of. I, I personally, I, I was always born and raised. I was always a Jersey guy, but I right. mean, I, I know, you know, being that close, I know. And Tom talks about it, and it was such a great scene. There was so many guys that came out of there with with a lot of stories that you know people never no, really heard. It, 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 I agree, and you know what? Interesting. Speaking of, yes, I agree, and it was. I'm, I am very fortunate to have grown up in that '80s club scene. It was really cool with the zebras, you know, the, you know, the white lion, the you know, twisted sister. What a great vibe. Good, how about the good rats? Incredible, yeah, right? Sure. How about George um, Cintron? Do you remember him? Oh my George, he's he one of the first guys I ever saw in a club. He, by the way, you know, played with him, Greg Smith. Right. Yeah. So Greg Smith is like the Kevin Bacon of rock and roll. Yeah, he's the seven like, degrees like, of Kevin. Holy Stan. shit, <laughs> Greg Smith. He hasn't been in your band. You forget it. So, <laughs> but what was happening too, which I always thought was cool, and we didn't even know was happening like in New Jersey. Like you had Skid Row, Trickster, like they had that Philadelphia Cinderella thing, and Bon Jovi. Like, but we didn't know like that was happening parallel to this Long Island scene. And Long Island, by the way. We're friendly with the guy Danger Danger. We all came out at the same time. Yes, yeah. You know, so like there was a, there was a scene starting to happen in Long Island. Yeah, no, it's it, there's so much, uh, you know, the history and 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 Tom and I have talked about this because, uh, you know, him being a, a Brooklyn guy and then eventually relocating to Staten Island before becoming an official Jersey guy uh, earlier this summer. Right. But uh, I mean, being always a Jersey guy, we talk about that whole New York New Jersey scene. You know, he he comes from the the Lamore scene right, and, right. And I, i'm from the jersey scene with the the studio ones and the, the clubs right. like oh, that well, we played oh god valentine played studio one a few times at i saw you guys at studio one <laughs> that was a good place how about did you guys see on saturday night live this weekend the uh Staten island uh little parody they did i i did see oh, my, my girlfriend actually it. showed it to me on youtube it I didn't, so, yeah, it's hysterical it so funny. yeah with pete davidson so, oh my god it's yeah. so funny my, the I mean that was really funny. So I, I, I got to kick And out it's of it. spot on with everything. I mean, t- spot on, spot on. <laughs> I used to, I used to actually work in Staten Island. I used to go there quite often, to tell the truth. So I know, I know, I know it, you know, fairly well. And Steve Ojiri lives in Staten Island, so I'd go see him all the time. So I, I'm fairly familiar with Staten Island. So I, I thought it was hysterical. <laughs> Um, now I wanted to, to go and, and basically just ask you, I know Valentine, we talked about the Firefest shows that you guys did 2007, 2008. Uh, I yep. saw you guys on Long Island, uh, with Trickster. Um, that gosh, was a great show. I don't remember yes. what, what year that was. Maybe it was 219. It was right. It was sort of like March. It was March of 219. 
No, well, this was prior to that. I think it was at the uh, the Crazy Donkey. Um, you guys played. Oh, with, you know that was with Trickster. Yeah, yeah, holy crap! You're right. That had to be uh, 2010, yes. 11, 12, something Correct. like that. that. Yeah, that was Trick, Trickster and Valentine. Wow. You're right. <laughs> yeah, uh, my show. show. And you guys got get back together every once in a while. You talked about the 2019 show, which I think was you're referring to the tribute show for Todd Confiscore. Correct. Correct. And that was a, that, talk about a great. That was such a fun, a sad. It was a bittersweet night because. Yeah. He obviously was a memorial for our friend who was, he was a tour manager for us, Trickster, you know, Danger Danger and Night Ranger and yeah. all, we all played, you know what? So it was such a incredible concert, yet bittersweet at the same time because here we were getting together to honor our friend who was passed, but he would have loved to have been at that show. It was like really, it was kind of bizarre, I have to say. Yeah. But, now, uh, what I was going to ask you about was, you know, th- the fact that Valentine has gotten back together over the years uh, in the 2000s. Do you right. foresee uh, uh, any more Valentine activity? Yeah, I, you know, I, I always say this. So I, I, when I, this question, I always answer this way. It always seems like, just like you said, you, you answer the question with your question. <laughs> Every couple of years we get together for some reason. Yeah. So I, if that's the the trend, that then we're due for a show, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> yeah. So no, you know what? There have been a few. I'm like, no, I have nothing to announce. I'm sorry, I don't want. I don't want to make anything exciting. But there have been a few things I've heard floating around that you know we would be interested in doing. So. Oh, okay. Something to look forward to. Excellent. Yeah. Well, you know, listen. It, never say never. We're all playing, it's, and so if the right thing comes, we're we're not like opposed to it. Don't get me wrong. Right. Sure. Great. There's no bad blood. We're all not, none of that. We're like all you know. It's all good. Yeah. It's all good. You know, I think we covered everything we wanted. We to covered talk a about. lot. You guys, that was a good one. That, yeah. First of all, as a guy who does a podcast interview, that was you did a great job. You covered everything. Thank yeah. you. Guys. Thank, great you. Job. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. But it. yeah, no, this was great. I I was looking forward to this one for sure. And um, Thank yeah, you. you know, I appreciate your time tonight. And uh, yeah, I guess that's probably yeah. about it. Hopefully, we can talk yeah. again down the line at some point. Yeah, no, you know what, when, when I think we'll, you know, like I said, the next time we'll talk, we'll, when Steve's record is finally finalized, we'll do, we'll do another one. I'll, get, I'll talk about the songs on that one. We'll hopefully yeah. drag him onto a couple of these things, you know? Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, but hey. Thank you, guys. I thank appreciate you. it. Thanks, great Adam. Questions. It was a pleasure. You, you guys really, uh, you did, uh, you know, like we said, I know you guys for a long time, and you know the history, and that is important because you really asked the questions that get, the, you know, the, the really cool under the hood questions. So I, I appreciate that. We're on yeah. top of our game here. Thank you. <laughs> you are, you are. You are. <laughs> Excellent. So, right, yeah, guys. so everybody, hey, uh, Adam Holland from the band Valentine, we appreciate the time. Definitely check out his uh, his own podcast, which is uh, Band Forever. And uh, check out the brand new uh, Valentine album, uh, Demos from the Attic on 20th Century Music. No problem. Thank you, guys. Always appreciate it. And look forward to talking to you soon. Man. All Take right. Take care, brother. Great. Bye. Thanks. Later, guys. Bye.